Hello, Dave. Hello, Ollie. Hello. Welcome to Sustainable. 33. 33. How the devil are you? I'm very well. A man told me to beware of 33. <laughs> well, Jarvis Cocker did, for all Pulp fans out there. I'm good. And this is our little podcast about the environment and the planet and why everyone talks such prattle and it's all so difficult. This week, coming up, we have got coal again. Yeah. We've got some massive cuts We've got huge total cuts. Mm, yes, we've got Caroline Lucas. Um, we've got the climate march, and we've got carbon capture and storage. All the seas this week. It is a sea special. I'm looking forward to seizing the day. Hey. Uh, as always, friendly listener, uh, please do bear in mind that although we work for environmental charities, this is very much our own baby. So if you've got any problems with any other thing our baby does, like <laughs> pooing itself or saying something that otherwise offends you, slap the baby round the face Crikey. and don't take it up with its mum and dad. All right? Lordy, okay. Well, let's crack on before the lawyers get to us, eh? <laughs> let's do so. Sustainable of the Week. This is the section every week where we have a look at the egregious eco-guff, the nonsense, the prattle, the wish-wash spoken in the name of going green. And this week, who have we got, Dave? We have got a man who likes coal. I mean, he likes coal a lot. He really, he really likes coal. Which is just as well, because it's his job to like coal. A lot. Uh, he is an executive director of a thing, and you're going to get a little touch of deja vu here, called the Minerals Council of Australia. Mm. He's a man called Greg Evans, and there is next week, as you know, and as we have talked about in the last few episodes, and as we will go on to talk about, a great big mahusive climate shindig going on in Paris, where everyone's going to meet and they're going to decide how much emissions we're allowed and what we're going to do about it, and we'll talk about that in a bit, right? But your man Greg Evans, who is uh, one of the senior people in the Minerals Council of Australia, has said this. Well, it's obviously an important meeting, uh, and clearly uh, there'll be objectives with regard to emissions reductions uh, and international, hopefully international agreement. But, uh, you know, we see coal very much at the centre of this debate because it can actually help deliver uh, lower emissions. Yeah, so um, what's basically is happening here is uh, coal, which is, well, uh, go back to episode 26. We did talk about this quite a lot, but coal yeah. is bad, yes? Yeah, and so, I mean, keen listeners, I should reassure you at this stage, we're not going to bang on about coal every episode, no. but at the moment there's just a lot of it being being guffed, being sustainable. Mm. Yes, it's a rich seam to mine, isn't Very it? Very nice. Yeah. I can see that one coming a mile off. Very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. So um, coal is bad. Coal is dirty. Coal lives in the ground. Coal should stay in the ground. Coal is causing climate change. Coal makes you coffee waff, right? Mm. And uh, your man, Greg Evans, says, mm, yeah, but no, no, oh, don't be too hasty with this whole, you know, climate change thing. Don't go around saying that uh, coal is the problem because it has the opportunity, mm. he says. It has the technology through helipower. What? Helipower. What, helicopters? I don't know. I, I don't think helicopters run on coal, do they? 
I, I genuinely very surprised. Be very surprised if helicopters had a little man scooping, shoveling coal into the engine as fast as the propellers could burn through it. Although, you know, nothing really surprises me anymore. So often when I'm reading this stuff out, I like to pretend I don't know what they're talking about. I genuinely don't know what helipower is. Anyway, uh, has a technology through helipower and carbon capture and storage, which we're going to talk about mm. in a bit as well, to help deliver these climate outcomes. So what I think he's saying is uh, coal if you take all its carbon emissions away, can be a solution to climate change. Yeah. I think that's what he's saying. Yeah. If you discount the fundamental properties of coal and pretend it's something else, then it can be really helpful in the fight against climate change. So so let's just assume it is helpful in the fight against climate change. So let's burn some more. It's like saying um, saying a pangolin, if you put a wig on it and gave it a suit. uh, Oh, poor pangolin. And made it stand on two feet and put it on an elementary presenter's course would be an extremely good host of an ITV Saturday night game show. Oh, wow. You're getting a reputation. Keen listeners will remember, go back to episode 18, for example, uh, we have talked about, this bloke's in Australia, and coal and Australia has a bit of a love-in at the moment, and it was one of the things that got your man, Tony Abbott, former Prime Minister of the British Colony of Australia. See, uh... See, yeah, see episode 23A for more on that given the tin tack and replaced by someone else. Because coal isn't, as Tony Abbott said, beneficial to humanity. It is very, very bad for humanity. And if we want to do anything at all about climate change, and I do mean anything, you have got to start with leaving the coal in the hole. Yes? Absolutely. And the article in which Mr Evans was quoted in The Guardian went on to say that actually most Australians don't really think coal's got much of a future. So whilst the Mineral Council of Australia and various silly politicians are still banging the drum for coal, three out of five Australians think of it as a technology of the past. And really, you know, it goes to show once again that politicians are way behind the people on all this stuff. Most people people recognise that this is this is stupid and we need to get kick it as soon as possible. I just called to say goodbye again. Though you're gone for good, my heart somehow And while we're on coal, moving from sustainable to just all-out kind of nonsense and ridiculousness, there were reports this week that uh, there is plans to open a 78-square-kilometre or 30-square-mile open-cast coal mine in Alaska surrounding a beautiful and very valued and quite sacred river. Now, Alaska, as we've touched on in previous episodes, Q Dave... 28. Very nice. Uh, ...is one of the most... Oh, uh, no! Uh, I think oh, it's 27. What? Oh, God. Or maybe 26. Oh, look at the doubt. Oh, God. Look at the self-doubt enveloping oh, you. I've Don't never, never seen you turn such a colour. Oh, God. Anyway. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> right. Alaska, in whichever episode we were talking about it... Hang on, is... hang on. My mum knows. Does she? Alaska. Oh. <laughs> I walk into it every time. Uh. Right, leaving your mum out of this, if we can, uh, let's talk about Alaska, which, as we were saying, was um, and is one of the places most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. So there is a horrible irony in the fact that they are 
um, potentially just going to take huge scars off the off the surface and and dig for more coal. Um, not not least because of the devastating local impacts. And and uh, there are articles about this. Have a look on the BBC where they're talking about it. But there are some local people very very concerned about what it's going to do to their, to their local environment um, and also obviously the global climate. So it's a big bad nasty thing. And just stop doing it, Alaska. Stop it. And the great irony of it is, is that they're digging up the coal not to burn in Alaska or the United States of America, but to bung in boats and take to China, mm. where the Chinese can burn it and go back to episode 27 for more on China. Are you sure? Yes. Are you really sure? Yes. Very good. Well done, Dave. Hopes for the Paris talks are high. The objective is a legally binding and global agreement. Something like 140 leaders are arriving in Paris. Prior climate summits have often hit a wall over disagreements about economics, development and what should be the ultimate goals. So, by the time you're listening to this podcast, the very important climate talks in Paris will have started. And hopefully by now, everything's fixed um, and there's no need for for climate change activism Mm, anymore. They'll have sorted it out on the first day, definitely. And all the rest of the time will be spent going down the Arc de Triomphe and having coffees. Yes, I think so. Um, On the off chance that that hasn't happened, there will be a need for the sort of massive climate marches and demonstrations we will have already seen uh, this weekend just gone. And, well, we're very interested in these marches for a number of reasons. We think they're important, but we also want to know why other people went. So we decided to head on down with Dave's swanky new microphone. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Um, To interview a few people and get their perspective. Um, You know, we know why we're going, but there are tens of thousands, hopefully hundreds of thousands of people there. And we're really, really interested to hear why they are there. Why are we going? I think we have to, don't we? Yeah, that'd be it. Yeah. What's your name? Elsie. Why are you on the march, Elsie? Because of my mum and dada. Oh, do you think that are you having fun? Sort of. <laughs> so over there in the distance, Jeremy Corbyn, leader of the opposition, at least at the time of recording, is addressing the baying crowd and it's all going down very, very well. Marching makes a difference in general? Um, yeah, or I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah? Is that yeah. true? Absolutely. Did you march for Iraq? For what? Before the war in Iraq, did you go out and Absolutely. That make yes. a difference? It makes a difference to your, your conscience, I think. You know, say, OK, I couldn't stop it, but I didn't stand by and say nothing. And what's your name? Freddie. Freddie, why are you on the march? Because I feel strongly about that uh, we should um, have... Uh, like uh, uh, that the Tories shouldn't be in charge no you can't say that ok fair enough <laughs> thought we started but we haven't started where's all anyway all but do you think politicians really pay attention to these things I mean why are you really hoping it's going to change as a result of this well I hope they pay attention to these things I mean how do you how do you make your voice heard in something that's so big but it's 
if people turn out all over the world, then at least people understand it's a global consideration. And that, of course, is the challenge for the politicians who are used to thinking, you know, just in terms of their short term and their, their own territories, that international agreement is, is, is the key. So I am standing somewhere near Hyde Park. I don't know where I am. I'm lost. I've lost all. In fact, I've never found all. I don't know where all is. But very confused and upset. Oh, there you are! Hello, Dave! What the bloody hell have you been? Oh, I've been marching, innit? Marching? Yeah, I've been all over. Yeah. been here, there, and everywhere. You've been in the pub, that's what you <laughs> I did actually have to go into the pub. I sneakily went into the pub to do a wee, because uh, all the hotels won't let you in if you're on a march, but the pubs will. You come on a lot of marches, I guess you probably have. This is your job. Uh, quite a lot. I was at um, the one... Back in March, which we organised the, t- the time to act climate march, and we had brilliant sunshine. And it's not sunny today, but it's it's not as bad as we thought it would be. Yeah, right. <laughs> the torrential rain only <laughs> lasted for a really short time, and then it stopped. So that's good. Did <laughs> you bother going on marches, even if it didn't make a difference? Of course, I will go on marches, regardless, regardless that, regardless on who actually care about it or not, because it's important for me. To, to actually, you know, show how much I, I care. And there is people all around the world who are not able to actually be part of this march or who are actually struggling because of climate change. And I want them to know that I care and we all care in this march about their, about their condition. And, and, you know, we just need to keep marching and keep expressing our feelings about those type of issues. Listen to this. Fully fledged sound system. right stuck in a couple of cans of beer I mean last climate change demonstration I went to was in March of this year um, the next day I was in prison for being at a demonstration for six months so usually I get stuck in but I'm just a bit tired so you're going to get stuck in later is it not that sort of occasion is it really? well we'll see what happens the night is still young the day is still young we'll see what happens I mean uh, you need to when people come to these demonstrations first you need to encourage them to come again keep coming and keep coming. Is it all the same fight as far as you're concerned? Like the fight for social justice, the fight for climate change, it's all the same thing? You can't just narrow it down to all the same thing as many. You have to look at every different situation on an individual basis. But um, of course, um, you have to fight for justice. Of course you do. For uh, the environment and for humanity. So Dave, look who it is. Look who it is. It is friend of the babble, an all-round superstar, Alice Bell. Hello, Alice. Hello, Ollie. How are you? I'm all right. What did you spend yesterday doing? Yesterday, I got shut in a room at Tate Britain with uh, about 30 other people from Liberate Tate, and we gave each other tattoos. Wow. Why? Um, in a sort of prison. <laughs> 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 a fun Saturday. No, it was, uh, it's Liberate Tate protest against oil sponsorship of the Tate, but also to draw attention to like how wrapped up with the oil industry we all are in lots of different ways. And so part of the tattooing something on our bodies was to reflect how us as individuals are part of this and to remind ourselves of climate change and the way that you know, climate change is a really big abstract thing that we don't really always... It's kind of hard to remember sometimes, so if you have it tattooed on your body, it'll be a reminder. 
that's quite a, that's quite a full-on thing to do, isn't it? It was. It was. Well, have you got like a dead polar bear or something? <laughs> no, we decided to go and go. Uh, we'd like avoid the polar bear iconography. Uh, we went for um, parts per million of the concentration of climate of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Sexy. Yes, we've, uh, so I've got a bit of science tattooed on my body now. Which I, yeah. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. I think it's going to make people more aware as it goes on. You talk to a lot of people and they don't want to talk about it because they just want to get on with their lives. And I think the more of us that are, are actually demonstrating and being seen actually makes a heck of a difference. But it's a change in mindset, as uh, I think uh, Caroline Lucas said earlier on. You have to change your mindset as to what we're looking at. And actually, it's the planet first and the human being second. And that is what people don't understand. And it's really stupid because without the planet, we're nowhere at all. Do you often make this much effort with your appearance? I, I should say you're dressed in a sort of superhero Earthman outfit. You've got tree, uh, leaves in your hair and um, a kind of Superman, Earthman thing on your chest. And you look fantastic. Is this a normal... Well, I try, to, I try to dress really smartly because I'm a lawyer. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> There are as many crusty hippies as you might have feared. Less, less than I feared. <laughs> more than, more than average, I'd say. Have you been on marches like this before? Is this your first one? What's My your, first what's climate march. Yeah. Um, I've been on a couple of other marches. Um, I really like the atmosphere today. I really like how creative people are being about uh, trying to communicate what they care about. Um, and I think it's going really well. Yeah. You haven't seen any fighting. Not so far, have you? <laughs> no, but I did talk to an amazing bloke who said that he was going to have some beers and then start some fights. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll steer clear. I'm outside Downing Street. That's where the Prime Minister lives. And sometimes on marches people get very upset and throw things. But that's not going on. Everyone's very happy. And all the policemen with their guns are smiling and looking like this is all normal. So that's nice. I'm Mr. Frackett. What's the message that you think he's sending? That we've got to we've got to do a radical, a far-reaching, a, the, the deal that we need to do in order to, to 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 keep ourselves on track, really. And I think there's every chance we're not going to do that. So it's it's up to us to try and underline that that that's what he's doing. Do you think that coming on this march will make a bit of, much of a difference? <laughs> in practical terms, not necessarily. But I think it shows that there is a popular surge of concern and support for far-reaching change and that's that's that, that's all we can do that's all we have in our power to do and what's the most uh, exciting or eye-catching thing you've seen on a march so far <laughs> probably uh, besides actually the turnout on a rain, on a great rainy day in november which is blooming good um yeah how many people do you think are here roughly? Oh, Forty thousand, i'd yeah, say would you thirty thousand? someone said about yeah. 50 earlier really so, 50 yeah. okay yeah who knows it's a lot though isn't it? it's very good it's a very good turnout on a sort of wet cold windy day in november you know when we could all actually be curled up in front of the fire and well not we're not a fire but you know uh a solar panel uh, <laughs> and, uh a copy yeah. of national geographic yeah. exactly concerned concerned looking in a concerned manner through others others hardships yeah. uh, no uh i've really enjoyed some of the uh, some of the things that people have been doing have been brilliant uh, like have you seen the two huge uh, silver cubes yeah what are the they red lines they've got right. red lines on them oh, so setting, nice. out, setting out our red lines setting out our red lines i really enjoyed those there i thought those is. were lovely this is little free and she's just turned two you're having a nice time <laughs> I think that was a yes. I think that's a yes. <laughs> How, has she done the whole march? She has done the whole march, wow. yeah. Wow, amazing. So why are, you, why are you here today, Julie? Well, just because we really strongly believe in what this is all about. And um, 
And it, it really seems to me that we're at a bit of a crisis point and if we don't take action now, there will be no future for these little ones. Yeah. And I just I just can't believe that we could be so short-sighted really to not think about her generation and the generation after and what they're going to be left with and whether they'll have clean water, whether they'll have a planet that's even habitable. And we just need to take action now, don't we? People power, woo, 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 woo. Yes, that was our lovely little day out in London town, marching with the masses. Um, it was genuinely really good, and there were lots of people there. I think even the BBC is saying there are 50,000 people there, which probably means there were about double. Um, but no, it was really, really good. I hope no one got injured by the flying placards, because the wind got up at some stages, and these things were like sails. Um, so bits of cardboard and, and sticks were flying through the air so um, fingers crossed no one got one of them in the eye but yeah Dave's gone home to soothe his tickly throat and warm his chilly fingers and I'm here stitching together the rest of the show which I suppose we'd better get on with Anti-Enough of the Week So, keen listeners to the show will know that we often have a, a section inspired by the ultimate rotter, Jim Inhofe, who is a senator in the States who thinks climate change isn't real because there's still snow. But this week, because we're all inspired by the climate change activists and the millions of people on the streets, um, we're kicking off with an anti-Inhofe, somebody who's really, really good and nice and lovely. And that person this week is the wonderful Green MP for Brighton Pavilion, Caroline Lucas. Yes, indeed. For every Inhofe, there is an equal and opposite anti-Inhofe. And Ms Lucas has been and gone and shone like a lovely green star this week. Here's what she said. She said that fossil fuel companies should be kicked out of the climate negotiations in Paris. Yay! Which, uh, right, well, obvs. I mean, like, isn't it just a bit weird that they're there in the first place? Think about it. Imagine a symposium. I'm sure this kind of thing doesn't happen. That is all about how you can stop people being fat, which is stocked (laughs) up. with always do this. I think you're fattest. I think you're fat. Well, you're fattest. (laughs) I'll have six bottles of Chateau Latour 45 and a double Jeroboam champagne. Don't skip on the pate. Go back and listen to previous shows. I, I challenge our, our dedicated listeners to go back to previous episodes and see how many times All Dave right. draws an analogy to fat people. All right. Because I right. think he's fattest. All right, I can think of another analogy. It would be like kittens, right? So imagine a symposium that was all about saving kittens, right? And what you did, you got all of the people in the world and the objective was no kitten death, right? And who you got in there were people who make food out of kittens. So like, you know how all dog food is kittens? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, all dog food is kittens. So imagine I it was had horses, kittens. They're like uh, kittens. And imagine <laughs> that you had. Uh, am I wrong about that? All dog food is kittens. This is very strange. I don't even know if you're joking. <laughs> 
Anyway, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like imagine having a massive conference about saving the planet where you have people in that conference whose business model requires them to kill the planet. That's mm. what it's like. Yes. Yes. Um, and, it uh, is absurd. It, it is, is absurd. And the list of um, people, I mean, they're not only in the conference, they're sponsoring it. And if you ever want to know where the corruption starts, follow the money in any given situation. That's the first rule, isn't it? Who's paying for this stuff and therefore who gets influence? And we were talking previously about the Science Museum and Shell sponsoring them. And the same thing's going on here. And Caroline Lucas, this week's anti-Inhoff, has pointed out that the talks about saving the world, about getting off filthy, dirty energy, are sponsored by some of France's dirtiest corporations, as she calls them, including Air France, uh, nuclear and coal giant EDF, or A-D-F, uh, <laughs> energy utilities company NG, who have uh, were previously known as GDF Sewers, but have obviously rebranded because that name was synonymous with devastation throughout the world, and uh, the lovely, cuddly, friendly, kitten-loving fu- coal finance banking bank, BNP Paribas. Coal finance banking bank, yes, jolly good. Um, so... <laughs> It, she's completely right, isn't it? And this is it's absolutely extraordinary. And we talked last week in episode 32 about the fact that there isn't going to be allowed to be much protest around the conference itself. That uh, There will be protest, but it'll have to happen in a more sort of orderly, inside-y type way yeah. um, because of for, the atrocities yeah, that happened and complicated, and, and complicated reasons. reasons. Yeah. Um, and Naomi Klein, uh, friend of the babble until she says otherwise, <laughs> uh, had said that, well... Protest is every bit as important. It's every bit as critical to having the conference as all the men in suits meeting and doing stuff. And she said, how come the dirty corporations are still allowed to be there, but the people out there protesting for the world's poorest aren't? And she does kind of have a point. Um, You know, it seems daft to me in the first place that something that is so fundamental to stopping us all dying is influenced by anyone at all. But if it has to be, I mean, why are they allowed to sponsor it? Why are they allowed to actually formally be there? It's just so... It's all very naughty. It is very naughty. And so we applaud Caroline Lucas, all-round lady hunk and wonderful, wonderful person um, on lots of issues, not just the green stuff. I think she's brilliant in Parliament, all-round all round champion of good stuff. We applaud her for calling this what it is, a load of nonsense, a load of babble. I'm sure she would have used the word sustainable babble if she'd thought about it. And, um, and we give her a lovely, great big anti-Inhoff of the Week trophy. <laughs> Yeah, I just wish that uh, it would actually happen. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. That, yeah, writing an article about it in a in a lefty on a lefty website it is great. Um, I can't imagine they're all going. Oh, have you seen that Caroline Lucas article, guys? I don't think we should go anymore. But at least, <laughs> no, at least she'll have her anti Inhoff of the week trophy to point to. So when when the sea level is rising and she considers all of the things she called for to largely have been in vain, at least she'll have that. Yeah, maybe she can stand on it and like be saved for another year or so because she'll be six inches higher. Prediction time. So, prediction time. Look at your little face. I'd like to point out that I've actually had three wins in a row, but you've not let me count any of them. No, because they haven't been wins. Anyway, listener, before we get onto that, I will explain what this section is. Every week we whap our 
crystal balls out onto the table, stare into them and try to predict what's going to happen in a world of environment and politics and prattle. Um, And also we have a little look back and see how we got on last week. Now, Previously, we've not been brilliant at this. No. Uh, this is episode 33. Yes. And I think the score is 4 2. So 4 1. 4 1. No. No, it's 4 1. It's four, you oh, no, you, well, you talked yeah. yourself out of a point yeah, last time, didn't four, you? One, no. Okay, so it's 4 1. So uh, not brilliant. But Dave's been getting ever closer to getting a point, And this week, I think he might have cracked it. Yes, let's, I have. let's listen to what he said. My specific prediction is that in the comprehensive spending review and autumn statement, snuck away in the small print is going to be the ending of anything to do with insulating homes. Uh, so stop. And you know what? Sod you, because that <laughs> actually happened. Here is what the Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, said in delivering his autumn statement speech last week. I can announce we're introducing a cheaper domestic energy efficiency scheme that replaces eco. Britain's new energy scheme will save an average of £30 a year from the energy bills of 24 million households because this government believes that going green should not cost the earth. Now, that might have sounded to you, dear sweet Ollie, like he was saying that he was just going to cut, as in, you know, make smaller the scheme that insulates homes, I think, called Eco, right? Mm. But that's not what's going on. What he's doing is ending that. That's stopping entirely, which is pretty much the only policy that is left to actually help people insulate their homes. And it is stopping. It is going away. And it will be replaced maybe at some point in the future, maybe 2017 if you're lucky, but don't hold him to it. Things are tricky, you know, left-wing politics might happen, Syria, you know, busy burgers, (laughs) that sort of stuff. Uh, Might replace it with something that will cost less, right? But my prediction was that he would end all things to do with fuel poverty and energy efficiency and that's what he's done because as of now there's nothing going gone well he said he will replace one scheme and another one so yeah but he hasn't there isn't one yet i mean fine if you want if you want <laughs> i'm gonna have this point and if you can be really bothered to take it off me again when he eventually introduces the other <laughs> In 2017 scheme, then i will give it back to you how's that <laughs> i am more than pedantic enough to hold you to that <laughs> <laughs> and petty and a small individual. So, no, actually, I'm going to go back on that. I am prepared to be magnanimous for once and give you... You did predict something really quite precise, and that speech goes on for a long time and yes. covers a lot of areas, and he did say it. Uh, and, no, well done, Dave. I, I, I'm pleased to give you that point slightly less pleased that more shivering grannies are going to die because their homes aren't insulated but you know every cloud no i mean sod that frankly because (laughs) i I need i need the points um what i didn't predict and i uh, i i didn't know this was coming this was the big horrible shock there's always one when mr Mm. osborne stands up the big horrible shock no one saw coming was the complete and total axing of a one billion pound fund of money that was available for a thing called carbon capture and storage we talked about it earlier yeah so this is our final c of the or actually i've got one in store yes Uh, i've got a c in mind (laughs) our final c of the podcast keen listeners will note that there was a c theme and yes carbon capture and storage or ccs Uh, is the thing that um, they have long banged on about as the sort of panacea for keeping uh, carbon-intensive power on the um, or fuel on, on the power sector. Uh, it's the thing which captures the carbon from the air and buries it underground in stupid tunnels or whatever. You know? gaffer, gaffer tapes it up and hopes <laughs> yeah. it doesn't get out. Have a it's listen a to episode 26 for more. A ridiculous thing in many ways. But also, some people say, totally essential on the industrial sector. So... 
you know, big steel plants or the ceramics industries, which really can't do much to uh, to reduce industries if they're going to to reduce emissions if they're going to exist at all, are going to have to have some sort of CCS. And for a long time, it was in their manifesto. It was in the Conservatives' manifesto. And there's another C for you, Conservatives. Uh, it was in their manifesto. And they said that they would commit a billion pounds to CCS. And yeah, like you say, the Chancellor just scrapped it. Just got rid of it. And the people who have been working on CCS, which includes some you know, people who have appeared in Inhofe Corner before, but also some people who genuinely think, look, this is something we need to do, yeah, right. have gone, what? <laughs> You've done what? We've been working on this for four years, you total, total. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's nice to get the beat machine back out, (laughs) dust it off. Uh, It is, yeah. I saw the press release from the CCS Association and my heart did go out to them. I mean, you know, this lot, they're probably not the nicest hippies in the world. But you can imagine a small amount of frustration when when they saw that. You can. Oh, blimey. Cheers, George. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! Anyway, right, go on then. So 4-2, your prediction is... Well, my prediction is that by the time of the next episode, uh, David Cameron will have been directly criticised by another world leader at the climate talk. For what, being a spoon-faced, yoghurt-haired... Yeah, condom-headed... <laughs> No. Okay. sorry. What for? What will happen? What will Mr. Cameron do? Well, I think all of this stuff that we've been banging on about since May, all of the attacks on the on the renewable sector and on green policy generally in the UK won't have gone unnoticed. And I think given that he's going to stand up and lecture the rest of the country about the importance of keeping to two degrees of global warming and the need for everyone to sign a deal that says we're going to bring down emissions, I think some people are going to say, do you know what? Sod you. You can't just lecture us on that while you're doing the precise opposite at home. And I think I think he will get criticised. I don't know if it will be a major world leader. Yes, um, yes it might know. be. It might be the the great Sultan of Vanuatu might come out. And, I hope so. And have a little pop at him behind his back and call him a beastly person. Yeah, yeah. But that counts. That it, does count. That counts. Yes, yes. And um, so I, you know, he's 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 there at the beginning of the talks. Very unusual the way they're doing it this time round. Usually the world leaders all swan in at the end of the talks and kind of undo the all the work that everyone's done for two weeks and say no this is what we're doing sign this or um or just go away but this week this time they're doing it the reverse they're turning up at the beginning um giving bold statements and then sodding off Right, that is just about it for this week. We hope you enjoyed listening to not only the two of us prattling on, but also some of the masses, the great unwashed on the climate map. They were unwashed to sell that for now. <laughs> Maybe Richard Little John was right. See previous episode. Uh, no, it was great and fascinating talking to loads of people. But thank you, as ever, to Dickie Moore of the wonderful Bearcraft who do the music for the beginning and the end and the intertwinkling bits on this podcast. You can get in touch with us, as always, and let us know what you think of the show. Uh, you can send us a tweet at the Babble Wagon, drop us an email to hello at sustainababble.fish, or find us on Facebook at Sustainababble. And if you are a new listener, perhaps you've 
joined us via uh, my, not yours, my <laughs> interview on the BBC News magazine your, website. Your quote. My it's not interview. An interview. There, it's how a many quote. quotes were there? One, two, two, that's two, two. That's an interview. Uh, if, 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 you're, if you think, wow, these guys are amazing, and you like them, stick around, check out the back catalogue. Perhaps uh, go drop us a little review on iTunes or however it is you download your favourite podcast. We love you and we want you to stay. Thank you for enjoying my interview. Thank you. Right. Loath I am to plug it some more. Uh, I should point out what he's banging on about. There was an article in the BBC magazine section of their website, which millions of people read, apparently, um, which was, we were delighted to say, basically about sustainable. It was talking about the jargon in environmental policy and, and what does it mean and is it important. And somehow Dave wangled his way into being interviewed for that. No, I'm not, I'm I'm very proud of you and, and very pleased that uh, you were promoting the babble far and wide. So so hello to anyone who came by. That means if you haven't read it yet, do check it out. It's a good article. Good. Uh, that's about it. We are done. Have a lovely week, Ol. Thank you. You too. I will see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Maybe Rod Little is right. See previous episode. Richard Littlejohn. Bugger!